0: be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text is taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Luke today. You may be seated. We begin with a word of prayer. Mighty Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have given your church a mission to go forth proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and his salvation in this world that is sick with sin. We pray this day, Lord, that you would encourage us as your congregation here in Escondido to be faithful in this And Lord, we pray that you would encourage us to go forth, but also that you would open hearts and ears to hear the message that we proclaim. And Lord, we pray that you would visit us with your Holy Spirit today, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start the sermon off today uh, with the end with the last verse that we read in that long reading from the Gospel of Luke this morning because I think that the ending of this message or the ending of this passage gives us a great deal of hope and encouragement and strength as we go through uh, the rest of the passage today. This is how the passage ends. Jesus says this to you, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven How about that? That is worth rejoicing over. Your names, your name is written in heaven. Now, these are words from the mouth of Jesus Christ, our God in flesh himself. That means these words are a guarantee. They are a promise that was made to you in the waters of your baptism. When that handful of water was poured over your head in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you can know that your name was written in heaven. That means that on the day of judgment, your name will not be found on the guilty ledger, but it will be found written in heaven where you are considered not guilty, innocent, forgiven for all of your sins. Uh, The prophet Isaiah says it this way, that your name is engraved in the palm of God's hand. Think about that. Your name is engraved on the nail pierced hand of Jesus Christ, covered in his blood. That means that your name is in heaven in Jesus' hand. You have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. All of your sins are forgiven. You belong to Christ. Jesus. This is wonderful news. This is a great way to end a passage. It's a great way to start a sermon. And I love how Jesus does this. He does this a lot, where he sort of tells you how things are going to end up before you even get there. Like, you know you don't have to fear the day of judgment because your name is written on Jesus' hand. You have nothing to fear. You know the end before you arrive. Jesus does this all the time uh, throughout the Scripture. Like, in his ministry, he tells the disciples things that are going to happen before he even arrives there. He says things like, look, we're going up to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to suffer for the sins of the world, I'm going to die at the hands of the uh, religious leaders, and on the third day I'm going to rise. And then... Everything happens, and this is the constant chorus throughout the Gospels. Everything happens just as Jesus said. And just as Jesus said he would do those things, and then he accomplished those things for us and for our salvation, so in your baptism he has said to you, your name is written in the book of life. You have nothing to fear on the day of judgment. When you stand before God, you are declared righteous, holy, and innocent, all on account of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You know the end... Before you even arrive there, you have what we might call guaranteed results. The result of his work on you is eternal life and salvation. Guaranteed results. Now I start here today because I think Jesus wants you to know that promise for a number of reasons. I think he wants you to know that promise first, so that you trust it. So that you have faith in your heart, so that you believe the truth. It's that promise that creates faith in your heart and gives you life and salvation. He wants you to have those. I think Jesus tells us these things so that we rejoice. so We give thanks to God so that we praise him for this promise that eternal life is ours. I think he gives us this promise so that we're not afraid. We're not afraid of the day of judgment. We're not afraid as we go forth to proclaim his good news. And actually I think that's the fourth reason he gives us this. So that we do that. We go forth and proclaim his good news. We go out on the mission of the church and proclaim his salvation to the world. Jesus tells us these things so that we will not keep them to ourselves, but so that we will tell them to others. So that others might know of the salvation that belongs to them. In fact, I think in our reading from the Gospel of Luke today, this is what Luke is guiding us. He's showing us how we are to carry forth this particular mission of the church. That is, after all, the church's role in the world, to go out and preach the good news of Jesus Christ and to deliver Christ's promises in the sacraments by means of baptism in the Lord's Supper. That's our responsibility as the church. That's what we're here to do, to preach Jesus Christ. But this is not always an easy job. Now, Jesus tells us that as we go forth, there are going to be, and this is what we want to look at today, guaranteed results of this ministry. But those results aren't always happy results. The Lamb of God sends out his church and he says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Your message might not always be very welcome. That verse there always makes me smirk a little bit because it makes me think of that great song, I am Jesus' little lamb. It's not as comforting anymore. (laughs) I am a lamb amidst wolves. But Jesus tells us. That as the church carries out his mission, there's going to be some guaranteed results that we encounter. And we're going to see those same results in the ministry of the 72 uh, that he sends out today. They're going to receive a, a variety of results that we as the church are guaranteed to receive as well. And so that's our question today. What is it we should expect from the world? What should we expect as we go out preaching the good news of Jesus Christ? What reception will the world give? And I think from our text today, we can can find at least four results, four guaranteed results of what will happen when the church carries out its mission. But before we move on from that, I I do just want to point out uh, one thing to you here today. As Jesus sends out those 72 disciples to go into all of those villages, his instructions for them today are specific to them. That is to say, Jesus is not looking at you today and saying something like this. You need to abandon everything you have, leave it all behind, and go into uh, you know uh, San Marcos or Ramona or Valley Center and start preaching about Jesus and hope somebody lets you stay in their house. He's not saying that to you today. You are not the 72. None of you were old enough to be there uh, for that particular instruction. However, those 72 who were to carry out that mission in that way experienced the very thing that we as the people of God always experience as we carry out the mission of Jesus. And so we want to look at what they received or what they encountered and see what we can learn from them. So that's what we're going to do today. And Here's the very first, the first result that they received, the first result that, that came about from their ministry. And this is a surprising one, actually. The first result is welcome. They received welcome. They received encouragement. They received support. Or we might say, to use community language, they received care. And this is striking to me, because usually Jesus seems to start with the negative, and we read so much about the mission of the church not being received well in the world. And we'll get there today, but I thought it was fascinating that the first thing Jesus points out is that as this church goes out to preach this message, they're going to receive welcome. He says this, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return... And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. And do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. I think these words from Jesus, I think this experience from the 72, for us as the church today, is is sort of both encouraging and also instructive. First, it's encouraging in this way, that when you go out to share the gospel, when you preach the good news of Jesus Christ, when you share the good news of Jesus with your friends and your neighbors and your loved ones, in doing this, you are not alone. You might feel like that sometimes. You might feel like you're on an island, the only one who believes these things in the world. That's not the case. You are a part of the body of Jesus. You are a member of his church, and in a much less sort of abstract way, you're a member of community Lutheran Church. That means you are not alone. But in fact, you have a congregation that welcomes you to this place, that encourages you in this ministry, and prays for you in the work that you are doing. You have a place at this altar every week, where what is set before you to eat and drink is the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, to forgive you for your sins but to strengthen you and to sustain you in the work of sharing the gospel. You have a place in this community every single day. You have, in fact, this advantage over the 72. The 72 would arrive in a village and they would start preaching and they would just hope that they would find a place that would welcome you. You have that already. Christ has given that, And so as you go forward sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, you have this place of encouragement and support. Where we should be praying for you, where you should be praying for us, where you should be bringing towards your brothers and sisters the needs of those who do not know Jesus, so that we can all pray for them together and encourage you in sharing the gospel with others. That is part of our job, after all, as Christians, to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But there's also, I think, here for us today, then, uh, instruction. There's something for us to do. And it, it, it was, it was uh, made very apparent to me. Uh, about two weeks ago, two weeks ago, uh, Pastor Matt and I were in a beautiful little town known as Las Vegas, Nevada, and uh, you would not believe what we were doing there. We were sitting in front of little machines that you kept pressing buttons on, but nothing that would give you money. It was for a district convention, not nearly as fun as you might expect. Uh, and at this district convention uh, for the Pacific Southwest District of the Lutheran Church in Greece, uh, we sat down and we voted on issues for our church body. We discussed Uh, things that need to be done in our church body, and we received a lot of sort of information, uh, almost commercials, about things that are going on in our church body uh, to take care of the mission. We saw a lot of things that our church body is doing, and usually I go into these things very cynical, but I have to tell you I was greatly encouraged by what I saw. Clearly what we see going on in the world right now is this that the harvest is plentiful, as Jesus says, but the workers are few. And we were talking about how is it that we as the Lutheran Church Missouri Senate, but how is it as do we as each individual congregation, what are we doing to support the ministry of the gospel in this world? And, And it struck me that we as Community Lutheran Church, we're doing pretty good at this, but we need to keep thinking about it and praying about it is that we need to be a place of welcome for those who are doing the work of the ministry. We need to be a place of encouragement and care for those who are going out to try and work in the harvest. And so I think of how we support someone like Sarah Hewn, who's a member of our church who's working over in Taiwan, uh, to do mission work. We pray for her, we encourage her, we support her, yes, financially, but also with care packages and with notes and letters. Or our friend Dayton Dangel, who was in St. Louis, Uh, at the seminary right now, training to become a full-time pastor. How we pray and support him financially and with our prayers and things like that. Or how we support our friend Rowan Turner, who is a a student down at Westminster Theological Seminary but converted to Lutheranism and is now preparing to go to one of our seminaries, either in St. Louis or Fort Wayne. He's actually teaching classes for us over in San Marcos. We've asked you to help support him, and you guys have stepped up in incredible ways to help him as he makes his way uh, to the seminary. Or I think about the work we do with 1517 to try and get the gospel out into the world in a different variety of ways, and how we can support that sort of thing. And I think of all of these different ways that there are people who are sort of in the employment of the gospel, who do the work of the ministry, and how we as a church are to be for them a place of welcome, a place of support, a place they know they can turn to when they need help. Guys, I think we do a great job at this. But I want us to, I want to encourage you that we keep doing it. We have a number of students in our church right now who are considering the ministry, uh, who are preparing to go off to college and have said they want to enter into church work. We need to pray for them. I can talk to you more about them after the service this morning. But we need to encourage others. Look, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We need to be a congregation that supports those workers who are going out. I think we do a good job of that, but I just want to encourage us to keep doing it keep praying earnestly, as Jesus says, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. But with that, again, I want to just reiterate this point. It's not just the professionals, so to speak, that we need to support. But we need to recognize that all of us here are baptized into Christ Jesus, which means we're all part of what we would call the priesthood of all believers. Not all of us are called to be pastors or church workers, but we are all called to speak the good news of Jesus Christ to our name. And we need to encourage each other, and support each other. Mission, the mission field is not way out there. The mission field is your next door neighbor. The mission field is your family. Member. The mission field is right next to you. And it's your responsibility to love them and support them and give them the good news of Jesus Christ. And we need to be a place that prays for you and encourages you. What you find, I think, here at CLC, is that is what we are about. Encouraging the care of the ministry encouraging one another to do this work. And we need that encouragement. We need that support, especially in a world right now that is growing more and more antagonistic towards the church and her her message. And that leads us into uh, the second guaranteed result of what happens when the church does her job. We go forth with the ministry. The second guaranteed result is rejection. Some will welcome you, some will reject you. Whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, "Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you." Nevertheless, know this that the kingdom of God has come near. And later Jesus says, "The one who hears you hears me. The one who rejects you rejects me. The one who rejects me, uh, the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me." Now this this part's not very surprising. And we see this in our culture right now, that the church is more and more under scrutiny these days, even in our own country. The word of God is now seen more and more as being uh, archaic and oppressive. Even given what's taken place here in our country, like with the Roe versus Wade stuff over the past number of weeks, those things happen and there's a lot of people who are really angry about uh, the decision about Roe versus Wade. And where do they direct their anger? Towards the church. They blame the church, and they're angry at the position and the perspective that the church might proclaim. Further, we just have to understand that as we preach the message of the gospel, and we preach the message of our God, it's not a message that is going to be well-received in this world. Think about this. We just came out of a month here in our country where we celebrated pride. Pride. the, the, The ideal of pride was something we celebrated in our country, so that if you're a church that goes forth, proclaiming a God who humbles himself to the point of death on the cross, and then goes forth to forgive those who are boasting in the very things that they think are good, and Jesus calls sins, and that they need to be forgiven. You have to understand that if you go forth doing that sort of thing and preaching that sort of message, it's not going to be well received. Because in such a case, the gospel actually becomes offensive and a threat to the way of life so many are pursuing. The language of law and gospel, of creation and redemption, submission to the will of God, and love for the weaker neighbor are actually foreign concepts in a country that gives you the right to be a law unto yourself and tells you that such autonomy is, in fact, the highest good. When we go forward saying, no, autonomy is a recipe for disaster and it's sin, we know how to obey God's law. You have to realize that when you preach that message, you're gonna face rejection. But here's the thing: as the church, we must be very careful with this idea of facing rejection. We've, we must pray that if we are to face rejection as the church, it's because we are actually doing what God has called us to that we are rejected because we are preaching God's law and God's gospel, and we're not rejected because we're taking up sort of the combative party positions of the culture. St. Peter says, Let us suffer for doing good. He doesn't say, Let's be provocative and stubborn just like the culture around us, and then develop a martyr complex because people are angry with us for picking a fight. See, I think for us as the church, especially on this Independence Day weekend, we have the responsibility in this culture to repent. As the church, I think you and I need to repent for looking far more, for for having actions and activities and attitudes that reflect the American political climate more than they reflect our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ who humbles himself before those who oppose him, in order to love them and forgive them. It's our job as the church to preach that Jesus, not to call down judgment and condemnation on those who oppose us, but to warn them of the judgment that is coming, and the salvation that is found in Jesus Christ. Now that actually gets us to the third guaranteed result of this ministry, and that is, in fact, judgment. It's not ours to judge, but this is the reality Jesus tells us today. Judgment is, in fact, coming. And we have to understand that on that day of judgment, when God shows up, the only hope anybody has before God is to be found in Christ Jesus. But if anybody rejects Christ Jesus and turns from Christ Jesus and his salvation, there is no hope on the day of judgment. Now remember... When we preach the message, we may be rejected in the world, but you have to remember that when they reject you, it's not so much you they're rejecting, but Jesus. So that for those nations and people, those cities and citizens that reject and refuse the gospel, Jesus is clear. He says, I tell you, it will be more, uh, more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom than for that town that has rejected. Those are terrifying words because Sodom suffered a terrifying judgment in the Old Testament. Because of their love of the flesh, because of their dehumanizing of others, and because of their all-out rejection of God, they faced God's judgment in terrifying ways. And what Jesus is saying to us today is that for those who reject Christ and his salvation, for those who refuse to repent, for those who cling to their sin and idolize their sin, they can expect even worse. For the city or the country that sets itself up as being above God and his word, who establishes loveless laws that cause the poor to suffer, and who establish a way of life that hinders the preaching of the gospel, Jesus promises judgment. And he promises such judgment to any nation that would act in it. which means such things could in fact come upon our own country. I'm not trying to be doing the fireworks tomorrow, but just understand, America is not unique in the history of the world, or somehow some exception from God's command. So again, it's our responsibility as the church, I think, on this uh, Fourth of July weekend to pray, not only to repent for our own sins, but also to pray for our country, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our fellow citizens, that this would be a place where righteous laws are established where the gospel is preached and heard, and where laws exist that enable enable us to do this freely. Now the reality is, we can pray for this, and God may hear our prayers. He may answer in this way. Or maybe not. The country may continue to push further and further against God and His will. In which case, guaranteed, this country will face judgment. At this point, though, it's very important for us to remember that the fate of the country and the judgment that may come upon the country is not the same as the fate of the church. Those two things are not the same. But the country goes, it does not mean anything about where the church is. Because you and I, as members of the church, we don't need to fear judgment. In fact, in our reading today, there is nothing for us to fear. Even as sheep sent out among, amidst the wolf. Why? Because of guaranteed results, number four, which you heard at the beginning of this message. You have nothing to fear from the Lord, for your name is written in heaven. You are baptized. All of your sins are forgiven, and eternal life is yours, for your name is written on the palm of Jesus' hand. So here's what's guaranteed the church will go forth with the mission. And in some places, it will be encouraged and welcomed. In other places, it will be rejected. Churches will grow. Churches will shrink. We will see sins forgiven and demons cast out. We will suffer for the sake of Jesus' name. We will see nations rise and fall. And yes, the final judgment will come. And in all of this, you will be carried through it on the promise given to you in a handful of water. Your name is written in heaven. Now then, such a guarantee, I say, we pray for the harvest, and we get to work. Amen. Let's pray. Mighty Father, we give you thanks for the mercy that you have shown us in your Son, Jesus. Christ. We pray this day, O Lord, for our nation. We pray that you would watch over us with your mercy, that you would make us bold as your church in this place, to proclaim your forgiveness, life, and salvation to those who We pray for our leaders, but we pray for those who make and administer our laws. We pray that you would give them wisdom and guidance to do your will. Lord, in all things, regardless of what goes on in the world around us, we pray that you would keep us as your church faithful to your word and your mission. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is faithful to these things perfectly on our behalf, continually and regularly comes to us to forgive our sins and sustain us in this mission. In his name we pray.